Well, today is Trinity Sunday, one of the days that uh, most preachers tend to dread because we tend to carry the full weight of making the doctrine of the Trinity clear and well understood across all of our parishioners. And the reality is that's just not the work that's being done today. my internet friend, uh, her name is Reverend Kara Slade. She's an Episcopal priest and a professor at Princeton uh, Seminary. She says, priests, just preach the ding-dang gospel. <laughs> so that's what we're going to try to do today. I don't think it's by accident, though, that this season that we are now in, the season of ordinary time, the longest season in the church's year together. It's, it stretches from now all the way until the season of Advent at the end of November. So from now until then, we are in this season that the church has called ordinary time. Uh, maybe if you have a little bit of Pentecostal or charismatic left in you, this might seem like extraordinary time because nothing is ordinary when done by the Spirit. And of course, the gate into ordinary time. The threshold that we have to cross as we enter into this time of ordinary time is Trinity Sunday. And we're given these words from Jesus to go, to baptize, and to teach. Rowan Williams says that at first blush, it sounds as if we have them all in the wrong order. Surely it should be go and teach and then baptize. Go and sow the seeds, go and put people through the courses, go show them the landscape, and then invite them to commit themselves. But Jesus seems to think otherwise and to behave otherwise. And it's that otherwise that gives us the clue to understanding just some small part of the immeasurable mystery that we celebrate on Trinity Sunday that mystery that we celebrate today. Now, if the word mystery tends to throw you, let's, let's, let's say this, mystery for us as Christians is not just the unknowable thing. Mystery isn't that thing that's just beyond our grasp or beyond our understanding. That's not what we mean when we talk as Christians about mystery. What we mean is mystery is that the more we give ourselves to this thing, the deeper our understanding goes. Mystery is not the unknowable thing. Mystery is the endless knowing of the thing. And Trinity, the life of God, one in three, is mystery. That the more we give ourselves to it, the more we can know and understand it. But Rowan Williams encourages us to say, all of life is Trinity, and all of life is meant for us to to be experienced by us for our health and for our joy. Part of what I want to suggest today is that we have spent a lot of time saying a lot of things about the Trinity, some bad and some worse. But the Trinity is not, as we've often said here, the Trinity is not two men and a bird. That's not what we mean, as if there's like an elder man and then a younger man and then a bird. That's not what we mean when we say Trinity. And we've used a lot of unhelpful metaphors, right? Like thinking about water and ice and vapor. All of these things are unhelpful. We fall back on the word persons. 
And even then, our friend Rowan Williams tells us that we talk about Trinity as persons for the only, the only reason is to keep from using worse words. It's not helpful. So we've said some bad things and we've said some even worse things when trying to understand Trinity. And while we've concerned ourselves with understanding what we mean when we say that we believe in one God and three persons, trying to identify the roles of Father, Son, and Spirit nailing down their identities, we've forgotten that it's only in light of the Trinity that we know who we are. What's important is not that we get the Trinity right, but that we rightly identify ourselves in light of that life. One of the most fundamental ground floor level understandings is that what we need to see is that we only know how to be human in light of this God who is three in one. This God who took on flesh by the power of the spirit and entered into his own creation. That is the life of the mystery of the Trinity that we enter into as believers. As Christians, we are called to be human, but not just in our own right. We are called to be human in the way that Jesus is human. And by the spirit, that life is opened to us. In the early church and in oftentimes our New Testament writings, there's this understanding that whatever happened to Jesus will happen to us. Let me say it this way, that whatever happens to Jesus happens to him so that whatever happens to us can happen differently. Whatever has happened to us, it it must have happened to Jesus because he has taken on all of our humanity. Jesus is the one who experienced death and life, not just for himself, but for everyone. When Jesus is given dominion, we are given dominion. When Jesus is raised to glory, we are raised to glory. And this is possible because Jesus invites us alongside him in his humanity to learn what it is to be human in the same way that Jesus is human. Remember, the disciples ask Jesus, they say, teach us to pray. And what does Jesus say? When you pray, pray in this way, our Father. Our Father. Jesus draws them in. Jesus invites them not just to bear witness to the triune life, but to participate in it as co heirs with Jesus. John 1 says that Jesus is the one who is in the embrace of the Father. He is turned toward the Father, eternally one with the Father. And what Jesus does in the incarnation is he turns from that embrace to us, to humanity. And he opens his life to include us in it so that we have the same place with God that Jesus has with God. This is going to hit our ear strangely, but this is the announcement of the gospel that Jesus has taken on our humanity to invite us into his life so that where he is, we may be also. And that doesn't just have to do with geographical location, that has to do with who you are in light of Christ, how God sees you in light of Christ. Jesus calls God Abba, we call God Abba. 
We have that same intimacy with the Father that Jesus has with the Father. That's why we are bold to say, our Father. We've been brought into that kind of nearness with God. And and for us to say our Father, it reconstitutes every relationship in our life. For us to call God Father in the same way that Jesus calls God Father is for us to stand alongside Jesus as our brother. Jesus doesn't say, stand over there and watch me pray. He says, come here. Come to the same place where I am. Stand alongside me and we will pray together our Father. And for me to stand in that place and to pray that prayer alongside you standing in that place, praying that prayer, means that we are not just fellow human beings, but we are brothers and we are sisters standing alongside our brother Jesus, praying to God the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how prayer works. All of our prayer is to God with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' life, lived humanly, lived as one of us, invites us in. It makes room for us in the divine relationship of Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's in that space, standing alongside Jesus as he faces the Father, animated by the power of the Spirit. It's in that place where we find out what our life means. So what's important is not that we can give an apologetic for some of the the doctrine of the Trinity, although we can, it is knowable, but that's not what's important. What matters is that we look at that life. We look at the mystery of the life of God, the Son who has come into our midst, and we learn what it is to be human. And at the heart of that mystery of what it is to be human in light of Jesus, is gift. At the very center of it is gift. In 1 Corinthians, we're going to dance around a little bit, so stay with me for just a minute. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he's writing to them about resurrection. And what's happened is that he's been with them, and he's talked face-to-face with them about resurrection, and then he leaves, and then he finds out that everything that he said they misunderstood. So he writes them this letter to say, hold on, what you think I said and what I actually said or what I meant by what I said are not the same thing. Might be happening right now as well. (laughs) So Paul writes this letter to say, I didn't mean that, I meant this. But in order to make his point about resurrection, he says this. This is 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 24. He said, then comes the end. When he, speaking about Jesus, hands over the kingdom of God to the Father. After he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Paul is saying that Jesus one day will hand over the kingdom of God to the Father, but until then, he must reign until He's put all of his enemies under his feet. This gets more confusing when we start to look at Hebrews 2, 
where the writer says that Jesus has already put all of his enemies under his feet. But it's, it's not true of us yet. And what Paul says here is that Jesus must go on reigning until all of his enemies are under his feet. Because what Paul is imagining against the writer of Hebrews when he's talking about Christ is Paul thinks of Jesus as the head of the body of Christ, as the Lord of the church. And what Christ is doing through us is bringing God's glory to bear on the earth until the earth is covered with the glory of God like the waters cover the sea. What Paul is saying is that through the church, through our work, through our words, through our prayers, through our service, through our bringing justice to bear, Christ is reigning until all the enemies of God are defeated. And he's doing that work through the church with Christ as its head. And then Christ, through the church, at the end of all things, when his glory has been brought to bear, when justice reigns upon the earth, Christ, through the church, will present the kingdom to the Father. You see what's happening. Then comes the end, Paul says, when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father so that the end of all things that moment when Jesus has put everything under his feet, when all of his enemies have been defeated, the end is a gift to the Father. All things are being worked together for our good and the good of those who love him. And what that thing is, that working of all things, is a gift. And that gift is a gift that Jesus intends to give back to God the Father. But it only happens with us. It only happens with us as the church doing the work of God in the world. Our Old Testament text today is all of Genesis 1, so we won't read it right now, and part of Genesis 2. But it's the story of creation. It's the story that we all know so well. And the text says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that the earth was formless and void and darkness covered the face of the deep. You know, what it is to, to be orthodox in our faith, to, to live inside the boundaries of the Christian faith is to affirm that God created. That's what's important. It's not so important that we know how that happened or exactly when that happened, but the Trinity does give light to why this happens. Robert Jensen says that God, Father, Son, and Spirit, they're sharing in this endless relationship of giving and receiving of the love of God. And it's as if God says to God's self, we're having such a good time, aren't we? We really should let someone else in on this. And it's out of that sharing of perfect love that creation spills forth. Colossians 1 tells us that the beginning of all things is a gift. The beginning of all things is a gift. That all things were created in Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. All things came into being as a gift. So that whatever creation was at the beginning, it was at its core, at its center, a gift from the Father to the Son in the Spirit. 
Whatever the end of all things is, Paul says, it is a gift of Christ as the head of the church, empowered by the Spirit, given back to the Father. So that creation's history, all of our lives, all the lives that have been and all the lives that will be, all of created beings, it's about gift. It's a gift that's been given, it's a gift that's being received, and it's a gift that's given again. That's what it means to be human as Jesus is human. To be a gift that is given, received, and given again. All things, the scriptures bear witness. All things are gift. Paul asks one of his churches, what do you have that you did not receive? And he's drawing on the fact of what is most basic about being human. We were created in the beginning as a gift to God. And in the end, we will be given as a gift of God to God. Remember Jesus' words, it is more blessed to what? Give than to receive. And if we had to distill so much of the sickness of what has gone wrong in our world, it's that we have forgotten this fundamental truth of what it means to be human, that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. What makes us human is giving because we've been created by a God who is eternally giving and receiving and giving again. Giving is what we were made for. Giving is what marks us, not just as existing, but being alive in Christ. Giving of ourselves to the world is possible only because Christ first gave himself to us. Everybody take a deep breath. I'm not talking about your tithe today. We're talking about giving of our own life. We're talking about seeing the world in a kind of way. We're talking about being in the world in a way that's not concerned about protection, about defending what's ours, but about a world in which we can be open-handed, where we can be gracious, we can give of ourselves to our neighbor. Giving, being sent, our scatteredness, from this place is what Rowan Williams refers to as the mission of the church. We tend to think about mission only as whatever happens out there, whatever happens as some kind of parachurch organization or what happens as our, as our outreaches from this place. We don't think about the work that's being done in this room, in this space at this time as mission, but it is. Listen to Rowan Williams' words. In our mission as a church, we seek to imitate our Lord and to say not listen to these arguments, but come and see where Christ is alive. Come and see Christ alive in the Eucharistic assembly and come and see where Christ is alive in the lives of those particular people who were around at the Eucharistic assembly. They may not absolutely all be canonizable saints, talking about you and I, but they will be people seeking to inhabit the Eucharistic place, seeking to inhabit the place of Christ turned to the Father and to be inhabited by God the Holy Spirit. And they may not be making much of a success of it, 
but they are trying. Come and see where the Trinity is alive in the lives of people. End quote. Come and see where the Trinity is alive in the lives of people. That is the mission of the church, that we create a space where people can come in and they can bear witness to lives whose lives are being lived in light of the Trinity, whose lives are made alive by this God, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's saying that to be able to live our life as gift, it starts in this place. It starts at this table. This is where it begins for us. He's saying in no other place and in no other act is this made more clear than in the breaking of bread and in the sharing of a cup. At the Eucharist, we have to ask, who gives what to whom? Who is the guest here? Who is the host? It's a moment when all of those lines are blurred, those lines of giving and receiving, because in one way, the Father through the Spirit gives us Christ at this table. In a moment, we will ask the Father through the Spirit to make this bread and make this wine the body and blood of Jesus. We're asking God by the Spirit to give us a gift. And we need this meal to become his son. We need this meal to become for us the body and blood of Jesus so that he can be broken open, so that he can be poured out. And as we consume that life, that life becomes our life so that our life can be broken open and poured out for the good of the world and for the glory of God. But also, the son is giving himself to the father through us. This table represents for us a present tense of Calvary. And just as Jesus laid down his life just outside the walls of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, every time the church gathers for worship, the son says to the father, into your hands I commend my spirit. This is the way the son keeps saying to the father, I am yours. And we, as the body of Christ, we get caught up in that gift, that gift that's given by the Son and received by the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. But also the Spirit is giving us gifts. At the heart of the Eucharistic prayer is this prayer that we ask for God to give us a gift that makes us one. Not just so that we can be at one with God, but so we can be at one with one another. So we can forgive one another. So we can see one another for the creatures that we are and not the way we've been trained to see one another. And not only is God, Father, Son, and Spirit giving these gifts to us, but we are giving gifts to one another. In a moment, Today, when you come forward to receive the bread and the cup, you will be handed those gifts today by one of us, one of your brothers or sisters, and we will announce to you, this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ, the cup of heaven. And because it's one of us, we realize that God has made it so you don't receive God from God. You receive God from your fellow human beings. In this way, God is mediated to you. We don't like this idea, but it's true. God is mediated to you through other human beings. 
Thomas Aquinas said a thousand years ago that when we take the role of the priest, we share God with one another and we are all belonging to the priesthood of all believers. That's who we were meant to be. We are meant to be people who share God with one another. In this place, when we're gathered around the Lord's table, we will share God with one another. But then we must be sent. We must go from this place scattered back out into the world and everyone we meet, we are meant to share God with them. And we can because we've met him here. We've received him here. We've consumed this meal. It's a meal that consumes us and we can go from this place sharing the life of God with our neighbors. There are some people in your life that the most they will ever see of Jesus is you. It's one of the reasons why during the middle of our worship, we turn to our brothers and our sisters and we say, greet one another with this blessing of grace and peace. To speak a blessing because there are some people in the room and to be sure there are people out in your world who never hear a blessing spoken over them. They only ever hear curses. One of the gifts that you give to your neighbor is to be able to speak a word of blessing to them, to speak a word that might spark some new life happening in them, to open up worlds for them that they didn't see possible. Part of what it is to be Christian is to go out into the world living in a world that other people would like to be part of. We are people of the kingdom of God the kingdom of God that is still being made, that's still being formed and still being created and established in the world. And remember, one day that kingdom is gonna be offered back to God. And our role right now, until that day comes, is to live in that kingdom in such a way that other people want to be part of it. Do people wanna be part of the life you live? Do people wanna be part of the world that you live in? the world that you inhabit? Is it a place that's marked by fear and defensiveness? Or is it a place marked by welcome and open-handedness and generosity? This is the gift that you can offer the world. So this is the secret of what it is to be Christian to be claimed as a Christian. We know what many people don't know, that there is a God who is gift. And he has marked us with his character. We are most ourselves, we are happiest when we give. And we know that secret in every corner of our lives, at work and on the road, at home, with our children, with our parents, In those broken friendships, we can give the gift of compassion. We can give the gift of forgiveness, the gift of patience and kindness because we know when we believe what the scriptures tell us, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Because central to what it means to be human as Jesus is human, which is how we are called to be human And what God intends for us as human beings is a life of gift, a life that is given and then received and given again. This is why we come to the table with our hands open. This is why this is the posture that we approach this table because what we receive here is a gift 
that is given. Not something we grasp for, not something we take, but something that we must be offered. And as we receive that gift of Christ's body and we receive that gift of Christ's blood, as we consume that gift, we become that gift that's given back to God. So let your life be a gift. And in that gift, your life will be found in the life of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.